Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. I'm Khalil E. Colonna, and this is Nashville. The North Nashville pastor, Bishop Marcus Campbell, was a leader in the community and an advocate for at-risk youth. After a difficult early life that included prison time, the Nashville native dedicated his life to uplifting the community and getting young people out of gangs. He was pastor at two churches and co-led organizations dedicated to guiding youth away from a life of crime. Bishop Campbell died earlier this month. He was just 49 years old. Later this hour, we'll talk about his life and the legacy of his work with people who knew and loved him. But first, health data breaches are a growing problem across the country. WPLN's health reporter Catherine Sweeney joins us to explain why your data is valuable on the black market and why experts are raising alarm bells about cybersecurity threats. Catherine, thanks for being here. Welcome back to This is Nashville. Hey, thank you for having me. Really great for you to be here. Now, okay, so let's begin with the simple question first. Are we seeing any major security breaches here in Middle Tennessee? Yes. Wow. All right. So tell me, why is this data worth stealing? So the specific numbers vary, but experts really say that uh, personal health information and health data like this, it can be up to 60 times more valuable than just your basic credit card information. If someone gets your card information, you can just call your bank and cancel it, right? Um, You can call the company and lock your card, but it's a bit harder if they get your full social security information and your birth date and, you know, your next of kin, all this other stuff that's in your medical records. And then the worst case scenario, people can get a hold of these records um, that are compromising and they can blackmail the people who are affected here, you know, get them get them to. Uh, pay a ransom to protect mm. their data. So that's damage on a person-to-person basis. What what can happen to a community? Well, in a ransomware attack, um, so if, like, hackers break into a hospital, they can take over the whole hospital's um, information infrastructure. And it's typical for a hospital to shut that down to try to mitigate that damage or for the hackers to shut it down, you know, until the ransom is paid. Because hospitals are so digital these days, that can mean major service interruptions. And this is something that I was struggling to understand reporting on this story. Um, I didn't really get it until I started writing about data breaches. I, I saw so many stories across the country saying hospitals and clinics had to shut down operations during the hacks and that it really affected care. Uh, Joey P., the Murfreesboro Clinic CEO, he explained this really well on a WGNS segment earlier this year. If you think of uh, an X-ray, the the most people will think about, you know, may, maybe even from going back to an old TV show where the doctor holds up the film to the light or he puts it up on the the light board on the wall. It doesn't happen like that anymore. It's all electronic. It's all digitized to where we we could have probably taken an image, but the radiologist couldn't have interpreted it. Uh, he or she could not have gotten those results to whichever physician or nurse practitioner ordered it. Yeah. So, I mean, I still see on TV even now, you know, them throwing those screens up on the light board. And so I didn't picture this kind of thing. And that is the kind of interruptions in service that can happen. Um, there's a pretty notorious case out of Alabama. Some of the testing and monitoring that would usually be done during a birth 
it wasn't available. It was mm. something like that. And wow. the baby died. So the family ended up suing the hospital. That's, that's horrific. Yeah, it's horrible. And again, on a community level, um, researchers studied a similar shutdown in San Diego, California. They found that it put a major strain on the surrounding hospitals because the one that got attacked had to shut down and those patients got diverted everywhere else. Um, so that meant even more delayed care for the people who were going to the San Diego hospital that got hacked and then also the ones around it. So tell me, why is this a growing problem? Well, <laughs> there are a lot of reasons. So the Senate Homeland Security Committee held a hearing on this recently. One big problem is hackers are getting better at what they do. So it used to be the stereotypical online criminal you'd see, you know, in movies, some guy in a basement, but it's getting more common for hackers to be like associated with foreign governments or organized crime. They're more sophisticated. Again, hospitals and health providers, they're all getting more digital. Um, they're leaning more on technology and stuff that has to be connected to the internet um, to just administer your health care. So you know, there's a lot more vulnerability there with so many third-party contractors and cloud services and, again, internet-connected devices. Um, it's expensive to build out cybersecurity infrastructure, and it's expensive to hire talented IT staff. That's especially true for small and rural hospitals. Kate Pierce, um, she's a health cybersecurity expert. She testified in that committee hearing uh, before the Senate this year, and she said, all hospitals are struggling since the pandemic, but especially those smaller rural ones. They often just don't have the money to take care of security the way they should. Nearly all the staff in a critical access hospital or a small facility wear many hats. They, they don't specifically focus on cybersecurity. And with the competing priorities that we're now seeing in healthcare, it's very difficult to, to focus on something that is not required. If I had 10 things to do today and I knew that two of them I were mandated and required for me to do, those are the things that I'll focus on. Yeah, so they just have a lot of different jobs. This is a hard one. They're not required to do it, really, and it's expensive. We will be paying close attention to this, as I'm sure you will as well. Catherine Sweeney is WPLN's healthcare reporter. Catherine, thanks for your reporting. Thanks for having me. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll learn more about Bishop Marcus Campbell and the impact he's made on the community. Do you remember Bishop Campbell? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. I'm Khalil e. Colonna, and this is Nashville. For some, the late Bishop Marcus Campbell was a symbol of what makes Nashville special. He was a pastor at two churches and a co-founder of the youth support program, Gentlemen and Not Gangsters, AKA Gang, a 12-week mentoring program aimed to help youth who are currently affiliated with gangs. He dedicated his life to ensuring that youth and young adults had an opportunity to succeed and support to help them overcome any hardships they may have endured. He knew these hardships well, because he had faced them himself. A drug-induced near-death experience set him on the path to ministry, but before all that, he was just a kid growing up here in Nashville. 
My next guest knew Bishop Marcus Campbell his entire life. Derek Strode is the executive pastor of the church at Mount Carmel, and he joins me now. Derek, thank you for being here, and welcome to This is Nashville. Thank you for having me, Khalil. My, my condolences to you and the community, my friend. I appreciate it, brother. You, you both grew up together, right? Yes, absolutely. Take us back to that. What was life like for y'all back then? Man, I mean, for that moment, we actually just had a chance just to be kids. You know, it was um, our grannies, our mothers knew each other. We lived literally right across the street from each other, later around the corner from each other. And, you know, just we were our own family, our own little clique, our own little fun time. It was we learned we grew up through all phases of life as kids. I mean, it was just fun. It wasn't anything to worry about. It wasn't a trouble. It was just living, having fun, and growing up. What are some of the things y'all used to do for fun? <laughs> I mean, anything we could. We were notorious for getting whoopings because we were very mischievous. Okay. <laughs> what not, but I mean, we would just do stuff to have fun. You know, all the technology wasn't there, so we go outside. We just play. We make things out of things. Mm-hmm. Cut up on each other. You know, just. It, what was so ironic, we'd always get in trouble at church for imitating people that might be shouting okay. <laughs> later on for us to end up being the preachers and so forth. <laughs> you know, I understand that like, Marcus was about five years older than you. Yes. Did you look up to him like a big brother, kind of? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, him and my big brother, we were like, they were like one year apart. He had five years on me, but... Many times I would defend Bishop instead of my brother. Like, I remember one time I was like, no, don't whoop Bishop, you know, Marcus, and we call him then, mm-hmm. or whatnot, uh, whoop Tony, which is my brother. You know, it's crazy. But <laughs> we were just super tight. You know, yeah. that's, that's all we knew. And what does that mean to you to, to kind of look back at those times of happiness being a child growing up with your, you know, real close family? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's special, it's surreal, it's uh, invaluable, you know, because um, a lot of people, even as adults now, like, some people can only see you from what you were or what you were at this time or certain things that you did, you know. Everyone just can't love you for where you're at or where you're headed to. Mm-hmm. So um, we did have that unique relationship. We had seen each other in all kind of different phases of life highs and lows, but we also had like a camaraderie and just loving on the community and the youth. What you're talking about is, reminds me of uh, agape love, like loving yeah, people literally. fully. Yeah, like through. truly unconditional. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In the sermon series Testify, Bishop Campbell shared his personal testimony. He, he shared that his father had been abusive to his mother, so at age three or four, he was sent to live with his grandmother, and he talked about how that affected him. Let's listen. I had so much anger on the inside of me, not understanding why this man uh, that's my father didn't want to be bothered with me, let alone that he would treat my mother the way that he did. Uh, And I grew up with this anger, so about around the age of 11 and 12 years old, I was selling uh, heroin and, and cocaine to adults about a block over from my grandmother's house. And I done it because some of the guys in the neighborhood, the older guys, um, those guys is who I looked up to. You know, they were my male figure. They was like a father to me. You know, Marcus, he faced hardships that a lot of people didn't know about. Did he talk to you about what he was going through? Um, he talked to me. I mean, he definitely shared all of those things because we've been at the same church together forever. And 
Um, I kind of found out about some of those things coincidentally because of my own run-ins. And, you know, that was a a big turning point. Um, I mean, but for what happened to him at three, I wasn't here. (laughs) You know, so um, I had just got here probably around when any of those things could have happened. But definitely not having fathers in the life was something that um, we shared at different points in time. And it was a big thing when he went to his father's funeral to see you know, this man that looks so much like him, you know, in that casket and so forth. And he just really wanted to help fill that void through other youth not having to experience that, not to become their fathers, even though a lot of youth look at him that way, mm-hmm. but just to show that, like, a man can genuinely just give you love. You you alluded to the fact that you also experienced some difficulty and you—, you and hardship, but you you understood where Marcus. Well, it was a different angle. Like I, I stopped selling hardcore drugs because of Bishop. Mm. He was Marcus at the time, but I'd actually brung him something, thinking he was gonna distribute that to someone else. But it was for himself, and that just kind of crushed me because it was my family that you know it, it never seemed it doesn't really hit home until it's at home, mm-hmm. you know. But then at that, that you know, totally took me away from that because. I didn't want anyone to experience that like I felt it because it seemed like it was okay. You know, you think as a kid, we're just out here getting money. But no, it was something that was destroying my family. So when it hit home like that, did you did you talk to Bishop about that? About No, I couldn't find him then. He was gone. Okay. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, he was when he was when he said he was out there, he was, you mm-hmm. know, if, if he was, you know, in the streets, he was in the streets. If he was on drugs, he really was on drugs. But you know, like, he uh, he knew that, and he knew that I found out, and uh, we both did, and, you know, it was just things we grew up through. Like, it didn't matter because we were so in, inbred in, in our, embedded in our brains to just look at each other as family. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you just get through things. It's not like something that you hang over someone's head forever, especially not if you plan on moving forward or moving forward together. It's kind of that essence of forgiveness, and, you know, as I was reading a lot about Bishop and who he was, forgiveness and kind of looking past someone's misdeeds in the past is what he was all about. Bishop had a very special ability to look past your crazy and find a way to love you. Mm. I don't care if you're a child, an adult, it could have been somebody that he knew was talking about him just a few moments ago, slandering him, lies, whatever else. But Instead of dwelling on that or making that a thing or putting his energy that way, he will find a way to love them that same way that he had for the youth. But he dealt with adults like that because Bishop becoming the pastor, you got to realize we grew up in the church and he was a lot older than some of the members that were still there. So now this child is now your leader. Mm. So everyone couldn't grasp and lock into that the same way. You know, but he still loved people anyway. Mm-hmm. Now, he had a near-death experience caused mm-hmm. by drug use. When a couple you, times. When, mm-hmm. when you heard about that, what was going through your mind? I mean, everything seemed so surreal until, you know, it's just so or whatnot. But I was just glad that he made it. You know what I mean? Like, I wasn't there, like, by his bedside when that happened. But, you know, he did tell me about it, you know, because, like, he'd be there... I mean, like at church, you know, or dealing with the church, and then he just go off for a minute. But mm-hmm. it was one of those last times after that. It's like he never looked back. Mm-hmm. 
in his whole thing. Like later down the years of his pastoralship, he was really locked into just wanting to die empty. And what he meant by that was like, whatever I got inside of me, I want to put that out. Any love I got, anything that's God put inside of me to give to somebody else, he would even say, I want to love the hell out of people. Mm-hmm. You know, He wasn't saying that like to curse. He was just saying literally like, I'm going to love you so much that however you feel about anything else, that's just going to have to disappear because the only thing you're going to get from me is love. Overwhelm them with the power mm-hmm. of love. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Kaliole Colonna. We're talking this hour about the life of Bishop Marcus Campbell, a man who dedicated himself to the youth and the community. Did Bishop Campbell have an impact on your life? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Now, my next guest also knew Bishop Campbell. Shawnice Gleave is the director of Evolving Excellence, where Bishop Campbell was a board member. Shawnice, thank you for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Tell me, how did you meet Bishop? I can't remember exactly, but it was a little bit over 10 years ago, just doing work in the community. And a couple of friends had took me, um, Michael, he's here. He, uh, They took me to meet this guy named Bishop Campbell. And, um, and we just kind of just clicked from there. Like, I was young and starting out doing my community work. And he was really coming into being the pastor of the church at the time. And we just clicked. And it was just one of those things like he supported me. I supported him from day one. And I come up and be like, can we do this for the, can we do this? Can we do that? Or if he was trying to do something, we just clicked. We just met through some mutual people. Mm-hmm. And we've been was tight from day one. So how did it feel to begin to begin on your journey of giving back to the community and service, right? Mm-hmm. Yet you meet this other person who's also starting out on their journey, yet you have this connection. You're like kindred spirits in support of the people that you love. How did it feel for you to meet him there in that time? It was amazing just to have somebody that you really don't know but you become like family, like instantly. And he support, like I said, he supported me from day one. He, although he was a pastor and I was a member of another church, he didn't look at it like, well, you need to go to your church or you need to go to your pastor. He just looked at it like we're doing this for the community. Mm-hmm. So the the support was kind of overwhelming because you really have somebody who really, really supports you with no, it was no strings attached. It was nothing but doing this for the community, the love of the community. I understand that back then you were doing, you were mentoring a young group of girls in a group called Jules. Tell me, what was the focus for that? The focus for that was to just give girls some positive guidance, just, you know, from my background and my, you know, some stuff I dealt with growing up. I just wanted to give girls an outlet and somebody that they could come to and a place where they could come and have somebody to talk to and vent to and just somebody to be there for them and love on them. Mm-hmm. You know, I also heard that you and Bishop, you kind of accidentally started a summer camp. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about that happy accident. So one day, um, by, I, I had came across a free, the little free lunch program. And so I went to Bishop and I said, well, we can provide some free lunch for the kids in the community. And he was like, okay, let's do it. 
And we we oh he opened the church to do it, but the kids would come and eat, but they wouldn't leave. Okay. And we <laughs> and we didn't know what to do with the kids, so we would just kind of start finding little stuff for them to do, um, activities and work and stuff. And then Derek and different people from the church they would come and help us out, and we just kind of it just started from there because they would come and they wouldn't leave. They wouldn't leave. They needed something to do, <laughs> yes. and y'all found a way, something, a lot of things for them to do. Tell me, how has the camp grown over the years? Oh my goodness, it has. It has blew my mind. It, I think they do over 200 kids. Sometimes. Yeah, not yeah. this year. We've been a little lighter, but yeah. yeah. Wow. Full capacity, 200. 200 kids. Yeah. And I understand it only costs $25. One time. One time mm-hmm. fee. Yeah, you got an extra child, $5. Wow. And I used to even tell him, you know, like, and his wife, like, you know, we need to go up higher on this. You know, it needs to be this and that and whatnot. And they were just, you know, kind of locked and set on that. But yeah. it always worked. Like, Bishop always looked at the need that was there and then did it. Mm-hmm. it didn't, he didn't do it based on whether or not there was a grant in place, whether or not there were other people that would align. He was like, if I got this building, I got the energy and the strength to do it, we're going to do it. But since it did start getting a lot of attention, there were a lot of people like every single year that would just give and contribute to where they would have a good good summer every time. It sounds like this type of person has got to have an incredible rapport and effect on kids. You Anybody. know, somebody yeah. with, with, with this type of love and, and, and magnanimous, being a magnanimous person. Shanice, tell me, how, how did he relate to the kids that y'all worked with? The kids loved him. <laughs> um... He was just, like he um, he was saying, he was like a father figure to a lot of the kids. Um, maybe you could look at it like an uncle to some of the kids. Like he, he was really like a big, lovable guy mm-hmm. for the kids. So the kids loved Bishop. They loved coming to the camp. They loved coming to whatever he was having at the church. They loved Bishop. Mm-hmm. He was just the, the nice, friendly, happy, go-lucky guy. So you love he just attracted the kids. Did you learn anything by watching him relate to the kids and the community? Yes. I learned a lot. Um, like he was saying, that love that Bishop showed to everybody. Because, um, you know, over these years, I've had to grow a lot. And, you know, and just him just loving and accepting me and my craziness. And, mm-hmm. and always just being there. Like he just taught me. He taught me what that love really was mm. he showed it a lot of pastors and people they preach about it but bishop really showed it so that's what i learned and i took from him how, how important is that understanding and seeing real tangible examples of love because you know a lot of people will listen and say oh that's so wonderful what you all are doing what you all have done for the community but you know you were talking earlier about how the bishop wanted to be empty empty himself but it's hard to do what y'all are doing every day going out there to do that how did that example of love help sustain you to get up every day and to do this work for the community um it, it for one it has to be in you and all i can say is that love is what makes you get up even when you know when we started the camp but you know it was free you know, we wasn't getting no grants, no money. 
or anything. So to get up every day to come and sit with people, kids every day, and we might not know how we getting gas money to get back home. It, it's just this. It's a. It's a. It's just this love that's embedded in you to want to get up and and do something because it's the impact on the the children, mm-hmm. making those children happy, and understanding that you know a lot of parents have to go to work, and so they need this. And Bishop was just one of those type of people to open his doors for the need. Mm-hmm. How do you want the legacy of Bishop Marcus Campbell to live on? Like, what do you want everybody listening? What do you want people to know about the work that he did and his approach to the community? That his work was pure. It was from the heart. It wasn't, um, he didn't do anything. He didn't do it from my perspective. It wasn't, he didn't gang anything from it. But he he exemplified that love. He exemplified the, the Christ-like love that we're supposed to with the church and the community. And I want his legacy to just be remembered as that as he was he was love and he showed it. And I mean I want his legacy to not only be remembered, but remain active. Mm-hmm. And you know, that was the thing, you know, everybody who come out like even down to his funeral, like all kind of high level people from the spiritual industries or, you know, whether it's professional, whether it's political, everybody had great things to say about him, but very, 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 very few people actually come and support what he's doing, whether that's time, energy, effort, or resources. You know, like, to keep his legacy alive, it's it's not saying, hey, you're doing a good thing. It's like, hey, come put some feet on the ground with us, you know, like, Spend some time with some of the youth, you know, be there to to be something else. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just a travesty that he took on all of that. And, you know, like we did what we could, but he got up every day to do it because also no one else would. But that didn't sit well with him. Like it was actually literally preachers that would say, man, you good. That couldn't be me. Mm -hmm. And that's just their mentality. I mean, that. They, uh, Pastor Stevenson had came by to our church um, for the conclusion of a revival, and he was like, some churches, it just really stuck with me, he said, some churches are big, but they have little ministries. We're more of a smaller church with a big ministry, you know, and it's just about doing it for the right reason. Mm-hmm. And really, it's infectious. Like, what people really don't get, what really keeps you going like when you can help change a child's life, you see them being better, growing, going on, averting. Because you have no, I mean, like idea how many vigils we've been at, how many funerals of young people. Like there was a time when we were going to a funeral every week. And I mean, mm. this was like months and months and months. Yeah. And we can't save everybody. It's not our job to save them. It's our job to be a good example to where they're going to do things not to put themselves in harm ways and be there as like some guardrails if they do get off track but people just got to come and show up and align because it isn't about us it's about making sure that we do everything in the present for a better future for everyone you know Shawnee's tell me how will you take this experience of working with knowing becoming family with the bishop how will you take that and kind of imbrue that into the work you do in the future I am going to um, just continue the work. 
that I, I do. Uh, one thing Bishop always kept me encouraged, even when I'd be like, I don't want to do it or I'm tired. And or I'd be like, well, they're trying to do what I'm doing or something. And he'll just be like, well, you know, Shanice, you're anointed to do this. So keep doing it. Um, he was just always good. And so because of him, I'm going to keep pushing. I'm going to keep my ministries going. And then I'm going to also um, get back with the summer camp. Um, mm-hmm. I kind of, I ain't going to say I stepped away, but, you know, life. Mm-hmm. And so uh, because of Bishop keeping his legacy going, because of all of that, I have to keep his name. I have to keep his legacy going by putting in work, not just talking about him, just not just, oh, I love Bishop, but showing up and actually doing the work that he did. Mm. Shanice Gleave is the director of Evolving Excellence and worked with Bishop Marcus Campbell for years in the community. Shanice, thank you thank for being you. here and telling us about Marcus. Really thank appreciate you. it. Derek Strode will stick with us through the break. When we come back, we'll look into the work that Bishop Campbell has done and the impact he's made in North Nashville. Did you know Bishop Campbell and how did he influence your life? Tell us and tweet us about it at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Kaliole Colonna, and this is Nashville. This hour, we're remembering Bishop Marcus Campbell, who died earlier this month. He overcame a difficult adolescence in North Nashville to become a pastor at two churches and the co-creator of the youth advocacy group Gentlemen and Not Gangsters, also known as Gang. My next guest worked alongside Bishop Campbell and Gang and has his own life, had his own life transformed by the bishop work. I'd like to welcome Kenny Clack to This Is Nashville. Kenny, thanks for being here. I'm sorry for your loss, my man. Thank you so much. Now, you worked with Bishop Campbell in the gang program, but I first want to know how you both met. How did how did you two come to know each other? Um, <clears throat> we got a basketball court across the street from the church. It's called Monroe Park. So as you know, the church is on Monroe Street. Mm-hmm. So the church is right across the street from the park. So I was already doing what I was doing with the basketball stuff across the street at the park. Well, tell me about that. What were you doing? So, um, like, like really basically bringing kids up there, bringing my brother, Bree Love, brother Derek. We'll bring kids up there, play basketball, really kind of like outside mentoring, really what these guys been doing. I just came along the way mm-hmm. and, and joined their group. They already was gang mm-hmm. way before me. So once I got with them and started seeing what was going on in the church, I started walking from across the street and going over there to the church. So as I got to know the bishop, you know, we got cool. But I would have never known nothing about the bishop, really, if it wasn't for Gus. Mm. Because Gus was already deep in Mount Karma, and it's, and it's crazy that I say that because Gus was already over there, but Gus is a part of Monroe Park Brotherhood, too. Mm-hmm. So I started going over there talking to the bishop myself. So we had a lot in common. We knew a lot of people. We knew a lot of different people. And we actually growed up across the street from each other and really didn't even know because he was a lot, he was a lot older. Yeah. But my brothers that's older than me, they know about him. 
So I started going to the church. Um, I became a part of the church. 2017, Easter Sunday, he baptized me. He baptized me. Wow. What, what was that experience like for you? I never spirit. Cause I'm not. A, I, I went to church when I was younger, mm-hmm. but then as I got older and started getting into the street life, and it was it was really over for church. I ain't have no need for church. So as I got out of prison from doing 13 years nine months, and um, that was part of my life change right there. And I was like, I got to do some. I got to get all these evil spirits off of me. I got to get all this old stuff up off of me. I need to be a new person. Mm-hmm. So I never really told nobody that but him, cause I didn't want to, I didn't want them to look at me as a certain type of person because I got a, I got a name, I got a name in the streets and I want to live up to that name. Yeah. So I really just talked to him about. He was like, he was like a, he was my mentor too. So you know, I talked to him about a lot of stuff. He was like, if well, if you want to get baptized, you just just let me know and we'll put everything together. So I had went on and made up my mind, and I was like, um. Called one day. I was like, I want to get baptized on Easter Sunday. Yeah. So, you know, in in regular baptism, you get dipped one time. When they bring you up, I got dipped three times. Okay. <laughs> did you ask for that? I think I did. I, I think I probably did, or he must know I needed to get it up off of it. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> so the um, I think the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Yeah. It is. yeah. So they did me three times and like, you know, he he just, he changed my life. Like he helped change my life besides my kids and, and my family. Like he was a big part of like here when a lot of people didn't want to deal with me because of my name and who I was and my background, he didn't, he didn't look at me no different. Mm-hmm. So he gave me a chance. I had a one-on-one with the mayor, mm-hmm. Megan Berry, the first ever lady mayor. I had a sit down with her at her office. Um, I don't talk to councilman people. I don't help a judge get in office. Mm-hmm. All this stuff because of what I learned from him. I didn't know these people. Yeah. <laughs> these people wouldn't have never known nothing about no, my name is Kenny Turner, but in the streets they call me Kenny Clack. Okay. And a lot of people wouldn't have known nothing about me if it wasn't for Bishop. Now, I want to introduce my next guest. It's a young person who was mentored by Bishop Campbell, like the kids who go through the gang program. Elder Michael Breedlove is the assistant pastor at Divine Faith Praise and Worship Center in Clarksville. Michael, a.k.a. Gus, mm-hmm. thank you for joining mm-hmm. us. Welcome to This is Nashville. Now, now, tell me, what was your first meeting with Bishop like? Man, my first meeting with Bishop was actually random. Um, I was doing gospel rap at the time, and we had to do a, a watch night service or whatnot. And this is when I first started gospel rapping, because that's all I was doing. That's how I started. Um, and we did, you know, we did the song. I met Bishop. And um, after that, we just clicked. You know, it was just automatically, like, he saw that not only was I just a young man really just trying to, like, chase after God, because that's what it was, you know, probably like four months before that, I just came out of a trunk of a car, you know what I'm saying, dealing with the streets. So mm-hmm. it was like running into Bishop, he kind of helped me, like, channel my anger, you know what I'm saying, stuff like that, because I was angry, you know what I mean? I wasn't like how I am now, laughing, funny, you know, and charismatic, 
and all that. Like, I wasn't like that at first. You know, I was just more so of a stubborn, didn't want to listen, you know, knew a little bit about God, but he saw the calling that I had on my life, and he just started diving into it. You know, um, then, what, what were some of the things he was saying to you at that time, particularly like when you first meet your your angry young man? Like you said, four months from coming out of a trunk, still angry, dealing with the traumas and effects of your past. Right. What did he say to you that really struck you in your soul? He gave me the best analogy, best analogy that like I still use today, like in church. He was like, you know, giving your life to God is just like going to rehab. It's a one day at a time thing. You know, and a lot of people, they have this process in their head that, you know, after you get baptized or after you join the church that automatically, like, your life is just going to change. You have to understand that it's a process and you got to take it one day at a time. That was, like, the best advice. So every day I woke up, I just, you know, I lived that day for that day. And then things just started changing. And then you, over the years, got into the ministry yourself. Yeah. Got what, in. what was his inspiration in that? He was the inspiration. Mm-hmm. Uh, like it, like he he was the inspiration. Like I remember the first time I wrote my first sermon and he read it and he was just like, "You're a natural." He said, "You're gonna be all right." And I preached and after that, it's just you know everybody called me Gus. You know what I mean? I was his youth pastor for a long time. I I've served on him as his associate pastor at his second location. You know what I mean? And like, and through him, I've met so many good people. Like, like, just like Kenny saying he wouldn't know Bishop if, you know, he didn't know me, but I feel like I wouldn't have the relationship with him if it wasn't for Bishop. I wouldn't have the relationship with Derek if it wasn't for Bishop. These are my brothers. These are people that I don't probably talk to every day, but at the same time, like, we all know, like, we locked in for life, mm-hmm. and we, we owe that all to Bishop. Now, Derek Strode is still with us. What what do you remember about Michael, a.k.a. Gus, when you he first started working with y'all? Man, um, <laughs> he was crazy. He, he really didn't like me that much. <laughs> whatnot. I mean, we were, um, we were, you know what I'm saying, like fine and cordial and all of that stuff, but real, real spunky guy, loved to go get on the basketball court. Like, basketball was just where he was at. You know what I mean? Like, did, like, you know, really working with the youth and all of those kind of things. And, like, that was just a big deal, you know, like, for him. But I liked him, you know what I mean? I'd always, like, kind of just try to call myself dropping uh, some nuggets, nuggets on him or whatever and all of that or whatnot. But it was just, um, it was cool. He's my brother, you mm-hmm. know. But, you know, he's, you know, 10 years younger than me, I think, or whatnot. So, um. You know, I tried to let some hindsight be foresight and so forth, but it was just, like, he was a cool dude to me, you know, mm-hmm. and the more and more we stayed around each other, the more that um, things, you know, just kind of took off, and then that bond just got greater and greater. Mm. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil Ekelona. We're talking this hour about the life, work, and legacy of Bishop Marcus Campbell. My guests are Derek Strode, Kenny Clack, and Michael Breedlove. You can tweet us your comments at This Is Nashville. Now, now Kenny, you work with the program, gang. What, what, tell me about the group and the work that you do for them. I understand you may need a minute, man. (sighs) 
you know, I, I understand this. I'm just reading over, what do you say, about a thousand people showed up at his services? <laughs> Probably even more than that, you know, but which he deserved that presence and outpouring, but I mean, he was just a real, real good dude. Like, I mean, like, we're trying to, you know, we're doing this interview, going through and doing all of that, but mm -hmm. like, no, like, people are hurting. Like, his wife is hurting, his mother is hurting, his family, he was a father. You know what I mean? Like, kids that he's impacted, like, he's a, he, like, he made ministry make sense. Come on now. You know what I mean? People that would never want to do anything dealing with the church or anything else, like, he showed you, like, realness no matter what. And because of, like, everything he had to deal with in life, he still was able, you know, to relate to anybody no matter where they were at because he had been through all of that. Like, a lot of kids, you know, would come in there and they feel, you know, a certain kind of way of think that nobody understands them and all of that. But then, you know, he could, Clack could, you know, he could give that rundown, you know, on life, really how it was, really being in prison, really being out there in the streets, being on drugs and, you know, like all of those things. But still, like, looking past all of that, just, you know, getting to only just focus on God or letting that be the most important thing. Like, mm -hmm. he demonstrated that. Yeah. And you just can't really replace that. Like, everything that he touched that he wanted to end up happening, that God put on his heart, somehow or another, it always worked out. Yeah. And I mean, we had the odds stacked against us. We ain't getting nothing from the city. We ain't getting nothing from here or there. It didn't matter about none of that. All these churches said, great work we're doing. They ain't showing up helping. You know what I mean? It was him, whoever would be around at that time, and just getting in there and doing it. So but, through his love and dedication, he was making miracles happen. Man, I was making the miracles happen. Life. He was just yielding. Just, you know, life. he was just yielding to, like, if I'm doing this and God really got this on my heart, it's going to work out. I don't have to figure that part out. We got to show up, be present. Like, that's his vision, engage, equip, and build him. Like, that's what he wanted. Like his slogan is, "We love you, and it ain't nothing you can do about it." We love you, and you. It ain't nothing you can, you can do, about, do it. about it. You can be mad about it. You can cuss me out. You can not be my friend. But uh -huh. all I got to give you is love. How would that? How can he tell me? How would that? When you when he said that to kids, you know, I, I worked with with kids who grew up in gang life in Los Angeles, you know, and sometimes. You could say something to them. They could be very upset and emotional, like kids should be, right. about the trauma that they experience. But you say something to them, and you see that light turn on. When he would say that to kids, what would their reaction be that you saw? I don't. I don't seen kids in an actual fight <laughs> at camp. I'm talking about fist to fist fight. Yeah. Bishop walk up. He'll change the whole spirit. He'll change everything. He ain't got to do nothing. Walk up, make his present. And he'll tell you, I love you, and there's nothing you can do about it. Anybody, grown folks, kids, older folks, mm -hmm. I never seen nobody like him. Gentle giant. I never seen nobody like him. I never seen him mad. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Never seen him upset. Like, he's, he just tried to help everybody. Like, that's why all, that's why all the people was at his funeral like they was. A lot of people not go get that when they pass away. Mm -hmm. Not like that. He was really for the kids and the community. And other pastors at his funeral was letting it be known that we got to step up as churches. 
we got to step up as churches. Nobody in Nashville never did what Bishop Campbell done done. Nobody. As soon as the tornado hit, tornado and COVID hit at the same time, his church was so filled up with hygiene, food, cat food, dog food, baby food, baby wipes, pampers, cereal, milk, anything you can name at a store was at his church. And we was hit with the tornado. Inside, the outside, mm-hmm. and we was even hit with the church. Yeah. We was even hit with the tornado at the church. Roof, whole roof sinking in in the back of the kitchen part. And but you're still there through his yeah. leadership, helping people still out. Absolutely, from I night mean, and day. Yeah, yeah, we got the little camera things on with the lights, not from, a camera, from but night just and the day. flashlights. And you yeah. got to understand, some people didn't have nowhere to stay at. Mm-hmm. He banned gift cards, hotel rooms. Christmas, you put 20, 30 families in the hotel for Christmas. You name me anybody who done did that. 30 people that you never, 30 families that you've never met in your life. Yeah. Only time these people probably seen you is on the news. He's totally different. And speaking of that difference, I understand that he he didn't want to even really be publicized in the media. No, 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 no. That farthest thing from He used him. to try to get us to go on the news. Yeah. I'm <laughs> telling him, I'm like, I'm not, I can't be on the news and do what you do. I can't be no preacher. I can't be no pastor. I can only be your journeyman. Mm. So we are all Bishop journeymans. You asked me the question, um, when I, how, how did I join the game program? Mm-hmm. So I actually came to orientation one night and seeing what was going on. And at orientation at game, all the kids that come and be a part of the game, you got to pick your name out of a coffin. Mm. Oh, wow. Yeah. Orientation. Your family sitting on this side, all the game members sitting on this side. And you pick your name out of a coffin. That's deep. Once Derek, call, once Derek call your name, you got to come up. Walk to that casket and get your name out of that casket and look at the and look in the mirror. Mm. The head part of the casket where your head lay at, the mirror is right there. Bishop Campbell gonna give you two options. You either go change in 12 weeks with us and get off of probation and do what you gotta do for your family, or you're gonna wind up in this coffin. Mm. So he didn't want to see no kids in no coffin. He tried everything in the world, his power. I wouldn't have never been able to go in no juvenile to talk to nobody. Come September, gang program got to be back in juvenile court mm-hmm. so we can deal with the kids that's in detention. How do y'all want this work that he started and obviously y'all ain't letting go of? No. Y'all are keeping it going. Sure. How do you want this to live on? How do you want this to affect everybody who's listening right now? How do you want them to take the experience of this absolutely heavenly human being who Bishop Campbell was? How do you want them to go forward and take a part of this work? I mean, like you just said, take the experience. Like, we've been trained for this. We've, we've, he gave us the blueprint. You know, it's nothing really should change because 
his legacy speaks for itself. None of us should, none of us are trying to be bishop. None of us are trying to act like we are bishop. But like you said, like we understand that this got to go forth. I'm from North Nashville. He's from North Nashville. I'm He's from North Nashville. Nashville. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's not that we just focus on North Nashville, but we all from poverty. We all from from places and, you know, things that we're not proud of. So at the same time, like, how dare we not continue? Because he pulled us out. So it's like, that's what he would want. And to the people listening, man, like, if you know Bishop and you love Bishop, like, come by the church, help out, donate something. You know what I'm saying? Because it takes a community. It takes a village to raise a child. And sometimes, you know, with Bishop being so gone, with Bishop being gone, like, those shoes are big to fill. And it's going to take all of us to fill those shoes. It ain't just going to take me, Derry, Kenny, Sister Shanice, you know, uh, his wife. We all have to, like, pitch in and, and do this job because he had a vision, and it was plain and clear. It's about saving these kids, and it's about saving God's people. And at the end of the day, everybody is God's people, the just and the unjust. And people got people got to also understand this. Bishop passed away in the middle of summer camp. Right. We still got kids that's this small that don't even know Bishop's gone. Oh. He took care of babies. Yeah. I want to thank you all. I want to thank you all for coming on here and honoring um, Bishop Marcus Campbell. My guests were our Derek Strode, executive pastor at church at Mount Carmel, Kenny Clark, journeyman, Kenny Clack, pardon me, journeyman with gang, and Elder Michael Breedlove, assistant pastor at Divine Faith Praise and Worship Center. Thank you all for being here and let us, letting us know more about Bishop Campbell. And again, from, from the bottom of my heart, I'm, I'm sorry for your loss. Bless you, bro. Thanks so much. We love uh, you, Bishop. I, and thank you for tuning in this hour. This is Nashville as a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Today's episode was produced by Magnolia McKay. Our senior producer is Steve Harouche. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tuthope. The masterminds behind our theme music are LaRange and Amir Blade. Special thanks to Miss Clemmy Greenlee. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. The conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram and let us know what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Khalil. I'm sorry. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil A. Colonna. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And be real good to each other. <laughs>